You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Of the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you love the presence of the Lord tonight? I don't want to just come to church and get in a hurry. Amen. And miss, amen, the whole point that we're coming here tonight. Amen. His spirit. Well, good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. This evening, thank you for joining us in person. Thank you for being here. Amen. We have some needs we want to take to the Lord. Continue to pray for Sister Judy Gibbs. She's missed service now for a number of weeks. And uh, with the sickness, just God, we need God to touch her. So if you'll remember to pray for Sister Judy Gibbs, praying for Sharon Batchard as well, suffered a stroke in California, praying for Rachel Dunlap needs, amen, miracle touch of God. And uh, we pray, we were with her today again, Brother Bullier and Sister Bullier were with her yesterday. And uh, just praying God put his angels about her. Amen. When we began to pray, there's such a peace that came in the room, the strength of the Holy Ghost. And so I want her to know, I know, I know she knows, but her church family's praying for her. We're praying for Joy Frick. Other needs and issues that continue in the church, Bob Price, others as well. I'm going to have a need in the Lord tonight that you bring into the Lord. Amen. Can we just go to the Lord in faith tonight? Amen. We're not coming begging. We're coming in faith. And we're putting our trust in Him tonight. Every need. He said cast every care. Come on, let's do that right now. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, God, that Your Spirit, Lord, would move upon each and every situation, every name, every circumstance. God, I'm asking for Your touch one more time. I'm asking for Your ministering angels, Lord, Your healing virtue. Lord, touch the Gibbs household, I pray in the name of the Lord. I pray, God, you'd be with Sister Rachel even tonight, God. Pray your hand, Lord, upon Jory Frick, God, upon Bob Price. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, every unspoken request here tonight, God, you are a God that is able to do wonders, God. But I pray tonight that your will would be done, that there would be an authority that would be given to you to step in and move, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we trust you tonight. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise for being our healer, for being our deliverer, for being our peace speaker. Hallelujah, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can we just thank him for another day? God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise your name, Lord. We praise your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And the church said, Amen. 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 Why don't you turn around and greet somebody, encourage them in the Lord. Encourage them. Amen. Tell them, be encouraged tonight. Amen. God knows what you're going through. He's with you. He's for you. Amen. He, he sees all, knows all. Amen. Our ushers are going to come and wait on us tonight. For our offering, thank you for your faithfulness in giving in all the ways, many ways that you give. Thank you for continuing to give to missions and everything else. Um, we thank you so much for that. Amen. The church is blessed, amen, by your giving, amen. But we are blessed, amen, by putting the Lord first. And everybody said amen. 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 So God bless you tonight in Jesus' name as you give. Go ahead, ushers, you can receive this offering. Amen. And... Uh, 
This Sunday is going to be a holiday weekend Sunday. Um, and I, I know people go places, do things. We got a lot of kids at camp this week, some families at camp serving and working. We're so excited about that. Um, our district family camp, adult camp, uh, is the second week of July. And uh, I know you have schedules and works, and it may be hard to make it there. But uh, uh, Monday night's a prayer uh, service, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you have a chance at all to make it up to a camp meeting, if you want to be in a service with a thousand plus people or so, um, I'd encourage you to make your way there. It's always good to come together, but um, we got some exciting things happening. How many know you can't do too much in the kingdom of God? Amen. Putting God first. So I'm excited about that. Want, want God to have his way. Amen. But this weekend is a holiday weekend. So uh, I'm saying don't everybody go out of town at once. Amen. And uh, let's, let's do our best to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, even, even when uh, things come, uh, don't, don't fall prey to the temptation to put church on the back burner. I know people go places, do things. My wife and I, we just took a sabbatical as well. And sometimes you need to get away and we understand all of that. And so we're not micromanaging that. But be sure to keep God first. Amen. In every season of your life. And let's come expecting Sunday. Amen. For God to do something great. Amen. We're going to dismiss our children. Amen. Tonight in our youth class as well. And we're going to go to the word of the Lord tonight. I'm going to take you. Amen. Back to the word of the Lord that we went to last week. And we're going to pick up uh, where we left off. And we are in a, a, a short series called Transformational Behaviors. Transformational Behaviors has been a sermon series we've been doing here on Wednesday nights. And uh, we studied last week the topic, uh, the idea, the security of submission. And we were looking at submission specifically, transformational behavior, and probably, I know I've preached some other things that will transform your life, maybe paradigm changes, trying to let the Lord lead us. But this topic right here has, um, man, it, it's probably shaped my life as much as any other thing biblically. And uh, sometimes God puts you on the potter's wheel and he's able to do a quick work. And then sometimes you're stubborn and he's got to take you off and break you, put you back on and remake you, take you off and break you, put you back on and remake you. And so when I share this, it's probably, probably an area of my life where God has remade me time and time again. So I want us to pray and ask God to have his way tonight in these next few moments here. I'm going to try not to be as long as I was last week. And, uh, Maybe if the Lord helps us, maybe even, I don't know, maybe we'll have some discussion or something at the end. But I want God to have His way tonight. I want God to shape this and form this tonight by His Word. So would you pray with me where you're at right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank You for the blessing of Your Word and the power of Your Spirit. I thank You for Your grace and mercy that I feel in this house. I pray over the next few moments tonight, God, that as I come... I want to come humbly, Lord, and I want to come honest but boldly declaring the Word of God.
And I want you to make me over again, even tonight, if there's things in my life, I want to make myself available, that your word can form me and shape me today. Make us in your image, Lord. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. And the church said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Jacob Peshlakai's 20th birthday. I think we ought to give him a great big hand. Happy birthday. And uh, honored to have, glad to have Jake here for the summer. Amen. Helping us out, interning, working here at the church. And he has been a tremendous blessing to the church and to me personally as well. We were looking last week at the security of submission, the security of submission, and the idea being that when our life is in submission to God and to the things of God, that there is a security that comes in our life. There was a security in uh, the statement, the song, the refrain, uh, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow, right? I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring to me, but it doesn't matter because God's already there. And when I'm submitted to him, he's on my side. There's a security that comes in that. There's a, there's a boldness. There's a faith. There's an invincibility, I guess, if you will. There's a peace that passes all understanding when you know you're in right relationship with the Lord. And when you're not in right relationship with the Lord, there is an insecurity. Has anybody ever had a rapture scare? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Or you think like, where's everybody at? What's going on? I was teasing Sister Cheyenne the other day because we, we were all here uh, Tuesday and uh, there was five cars out in the parking lot. And so after working, I decided we'd, we'd all go to lunch together. And so we all piled in the church van and we drove away. And so uh, I, I came back and I saw she was here, Sister Stacy, they were working in church. And, and uh, I asked her, I said, did you think the rapture had taken place because you pull up, all the cars are there, and then nobody's there? And uh, I wasn't indicting her, you know, in that sense. But sometimes, have you ever pulled up to something like that, and you're thinking, okay, Lord, did I miss it? Hopefully that happened years ago in your life, long time ago, and not last week or this week. But there is a reality in that. I didn't miss the rapture. Where, where are they? You know? You come home and all of a sudden they're not there or something. I didn't, I, there's, there's a security in that when you know that you're living right by the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Last week, we talked about three things that we are to submit ourselves to. Three things that the Lord showed me, and I applied these personally to my life. These are three things that God gave me in devotion probably, I don't know, 15, well, it was more than 15 years ago, 20 years ago probably, and I don't know where I would go back in my devotional journal to find this, but it was a morning devotion. Three things that we submit to. Number one, we submit to God's Word, and we looked at that. That's a good starting place more than anything else because we know His Word 
is forever settled in heaven. We know we can trust in His Word. It's not the editorial page. It's not man's opinions. So we can submit to God's Word. So if God's Word says it, then we ought to do it and we ought to live it. Now, that's easy to say, and yes, okay, I'm submitted to God's Word, until you're reading His Word again for the 30th time or however many times you've read through the Bible, and you see something new that you've never seen before. <laughs> you're like, wow, is that really in there? Wow, that's, come on, is anybody else, does that happen to anybody else besides me? And I, I don't know, Brother Blake, at what season of my life I'm going to stop find, seeing things for the first time. I don't think I'm ever going to stop. I think I'm going to keep reading the Bible and keep saying, wow, how did I miss that all these times? And it's, it's not a reflection on the Word of God. It's, it's more a, a, a manifestation of who we are and how long it takes us to get things sometimes or where we're at when we're ready to receive it. But knowing that, saying, yes, I submit to God's Word and then actually living it out can be two different things. The second thing that we submit to is we submit to God's Spirit. We talked about that. The third thing that we submit to is we submit to God's program. And we talked about that. And, and the idea and the concept that spiritual authority is a part of God's program. And uh, shared some personal stories and some testimonies. We talked about Samuel with Eli. We talked about the submission of David to Saul. Even the submission to the circumstance that David was not willing to uh, gain the throne that he had been anointed for and promised by rebellion but he waited upon the hand of the Lord. David lived his life for, I think it was, I can't remember the number of years, 14 years or something like that in exile from the time that he's anointed to the time that he is uh, uh, actually established on the throne. He lives a number of years, a long stretch of time. He lives in exile, and yet God's anointed him. It would have been very easy for him to justify himself going back and warring against a king that God had previously anointed, but yet was living in defilement to the Lord and the things of God. And yet David said, I will not attain to the things of God by rebellion. We see this manifest in the spirit of David in such a manner that when he is given the opportunity to kill Saul, he's in the cave. Saul came and He's hiding back in the depths of the cave and Saul, who's chasing him to kill him, comes to the cave and is sleeping in the front of the cave. David sneaks up there and he takes a corner of Saul's robe and he pulls out his, his knife and he cuts off a corner of the robe and he sneaks out of there. And he comes up the next morning and sort of parades it in front of Saul. Saul, I could have killed you if I wanted. Now that's the Andrew Romine version, paraphrasing. But he, he does that. And you could imagine the rage. And you could imagine the uh, uh, self-pride, the self-righteous pride that he felt in that morning, in that moment, when he says, look, I could have killed you. I had power to destroy you, and I didn't. But then we see a change in David's heart. And David comes to Saul, and David apologizes. And his apology breaks Saul. And in this incredible moment, something is suspended in Saul, and they weep together. 
and, and, and there's this coming together. And we see David's spirit, even though he's anointed, anointed for something, say, I am not going to accomplish what God's called me to accomplish if it requires me to have rebellion in my heart. It's a powerful, powerful thing. David lays that aside and he walks away. We see in Hebrews chapter 3 and 17, and we talked about this, where uh, the, the writer says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The writer of Hebrews is letting us know that there is spiritual authority. There is order in the kingdom of God. God has established things in the kingdom of God. And that it is in our best interest, our personal best interest, to not torment them, taunt them, to make it easy in our heart. And so he's giving this strong admonishment, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. It was in this same manner that we see, we see what was stated in Genesis and then later on in Psalm 105. This, this verse, Hebrews 13 and 17, doesn't come out of nowhere, but it's also a thread followed from Hebrew, uh, Psalms 105 and 15 where it says, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. It was, of course, a word that was coming to the people uh, uh, the people that were surrounding the people of God when the children of Israel, and specifically Abraham and his descendants, are going through Canaan land. Don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. When they come out, they're, they're fulfilling a purpose. They're marching according to the command that I've given them. Don't mess with them. They're anointed of God. Don't delay them. And then he says, do my prophets no harm. Don't touch them. God was concerned with how we handle people that are walking according to His purpose and fulfilling His purpose. They may be flawed and they may be imperfect. In fact, the people here that He's talking about, the anointed, was not just the high priest. It was not just the prophets. It was the totality of the people of God. And God says, don't touch the people of God that are fulfilling the purpose I have. Now, when we go back and look at those lives, they were messed up. They had hang-ups. They had mistakes. They were not perfect. But God says, don't mess with people that are fulfilling my purpose. They are walking under my authority. They may not have everything figured out, but when they are submitted to me, don't you mess with them. And God, sort of, we see Him where He's established parameters. God takes this thing seriously. He takes submission seriously. If you don't believe he takes submission seriously, go to Leviticus chapter number 10. Because here in Leviticus chapter number 10, we have two sons of the high priest. A high priest by the name of Aaron, who is the brother of Moses. And the son's name are Nadab and Abihu. The high priest was commanded. Tabernacle was set. Moses gives the plan of the tabernacle, the, 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 the order, the structure. And they fulfill it and they carry it out. They, they erect it and, and now they're acting out everything that God has. And one thing that was required was that it was the high priest's job to take the coals from the, from the altar, the, uh, 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 the brazen altar, the altar 
of a burnt offering and sacrifice where all the sacrifices were made to take some coals from that altar and to carry those coals into the holy place and to set those coals upon the altar of incense. When it was set there, there was then there was a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. Now there was types and shadows that he was teaching in that. You, you don't get to the point of a sweet aroma before God with an unrepented life. The burnt offering, the brazen altar, the first place you came to was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of free will offering as well, but it was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where, where you were coming and you were atoning for your sins. You were, you were paying the price. You were acknowledging. You were coming and, and submitting to God's Word. There was, there was a representation there of repentance. And Then you would take the coals from that and you would bring it and it would become a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. Nadab and Abihu see their father doing this. They see their father doing this. And they look, they're priests, they've been commissioned to work in the tabernacle too. And so they decide in their minds and amongst themselves, we can do this without dad. We can do this without him. I've seen him do it a hundred times. I can do that. I don't need him. We don't need him. And so they bypass God's order. Could they physically do it? Absolutely. But look at what it says in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered, look at what the Bible calls it, strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Or we could read that another way. They were not commanded to do this. Who was the high priest? Their father. Their father was commanded by God. He had a specific role to fulfill, but they decided that they did not need to follow God's order. They could do it themselves. They went around God's specific directed command. And the Bible calls it strange fire. The meaning of strange fire is to serve in defiance to God's order or without obedience to authority. And God called it strange fire. You know what happened. And, they, and there went out, in verse 2, and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. God takes it seriously how we handle authority in our life. I cringe sometimes when I see people say things like, oh, I, I, I don't need the church in my life. Oh, I, I don't need a preacher. I, I don't need a pastor. I can do this without God. You ever, you ever encountered somebody? Sometimes they're hurt. Sometimes they're bitter. and They're wrestling with things. Sometimes, though, they're just plain out downright rebellious and defiant. I don't need a church. I've got my own Bible. I'll be my own preacher. You don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. See how that works out for you. See how that works out for you. Because the Bible tells us very plainly that there is a requirement for 
submission in our life. In that same manner, look at Numbers chapter number 12. Numbers chapter number 12, we won't read it here, but you have the story of Moses coming out of Egypt, leading the children of Israel. And Moses marries here a woman that his sister determines he should not be marrying. And his own sister rises up and begins to speak against him. His own sister and brother. Numbers 12, and one of Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. They said, hath the Lord indeed, look at what they say. Look how serious this is. And they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? You know what they were saying? They were saying, do we even need Moses anymore? Wow. Be careful if you ever get to the place to where you think that you're at such a high level that you don't need the body of Christ. That you can't hear a prophet, a pastor, a minister, that God can't bring a word to you for somebody or, or from somebody. Dangerous, dangerous place. Believe what we preached a few weeks ago. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. So that means that what God felt in Leviticus chapter 10 and how God felt in Numbers chapter 12, He still feels today. So don't worry about the person. And I'm going to get to this tonight. They may be flawed and they may make mistakes, but don't ever come to the place to where you say, we don't need them in our life. Because the moment you do that is the moment God will start stop dealing with you. And of course, you read in Numbers chapter 12, God sends leprosy upon Miriam. <laughs> and it was only by the grace of her brother's prayers, ironically, the brother whom she spoke against, that prayed and pleaded with God, Lord, save my sister that after seven days she was restored again and brought back into the camp, and then the kingdom of God went forward. The other thing you can note in that story in Numbers chapter 12 was that the Bible says that they stopped moving. There was no forward movement. You get a spirit of, uh, that, that rises up against authority, there will be no forward progress in the body of Christ. We have to be in submission. Now, I know you're being quiet, and I, I know it's not, a, it's not a point that you would shout on and all that stuff, but I'm going to tell you from personal experience that these are things that I've wrestled with in my life more than once. And more than once, I've had to go back to the altar. And I can talk to you unashamed tonight because I've said those same things, and I've had to go to the altar and repent of those same things before. And say, God, forgive me for thinking that I could do this on my own. Forgive me for thinking that I don't need a pastor in my life. Forgive me for seeing the failure in the ministry and all of a sudden thinking that I'm above everything else. Forgive me 
for forgetting where you saved me from, where you brought me from. Forgive me for forgetting the hang-ups that I still carry that you're working with me through. And so, these are powerful things. God can use fallible people for His perfect will. And there's a principle here. There's two verses of Scripture that I can think about. If we really believe the Bible, go back to the three things. Submit to the Word, submit to the Spirit, submit to the program. Well, how do we know God's program? We know God's program by God's Word. And if I'm really going to submit to God's Word, then that means I've got to submit to the things that God establishes here. What does God's Word say? Here, I'll tell you what God's Word says. Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You get outside of the purpose of God, it's not going to work together for good. You don't love God, it's not going to work together for good. You don't submit to the Word of God, it's not going to work out together for good. You don't trust God's program, it's not going to work out for the good. But all things work together for good. David, you know what God did. You know what God spoke. But you wait on God's timing. And God's going to bring it to pass. And so David had such a faith that he didn't feel like, well, I've got to go kill Saul. No. He let God take care of it. Now, I know we, we give David a hard time and he did a lot of crazy, dumb stuff. He messed up royally more than once. He also paid for it in his own house. He bore the burdens and the scars and the weight of the dysfunction of his own family. He lived through a lot of horrible things because of the choices that he made. But there were some things that he got so royally right in his life that it's amazing. How was he able to hold his emotion in check and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you through all of that. Because sometimes we want to get ahead of God. And we move when God doesn't say move because we're not submitted to what God has. And we mess, we make a mess of our lives. This is really what happens. We make a mess of our lives. You know what I've learned? I've learned take your hands off, step back, and let God work. Because the more I try to manipulate and posture and position, the more you just mess it up. Just trust God. It's a hard thing. You say, well, I know what God spoke to me. Yes, but just because He spoke something to you doesn't mean that it's coming to pass the next day. Ask Abraham. That was a 25-year or 25-year 20, wait, was it? Or 20-year wait? How long did he wait? 25, that's what I thought. 25 years. Has it been 25 years since God spoke something to you? But man, God's timing is perfect and all things work together. So I, I had to reconcile that verse in my life. Do I really believe what Romans 8.28 says? For we know that all things work together for good. Or am I living like they're not working together for good and I've got to help God out? 
See the arrogance in that, God? I, I know you got good intentions, but Lord, you really need some help. Amen? But we trust in God. Yes, Lord, what do you want for me? What do you have for me? Now, this doesn't mean, and I put a disclaimer here, this doesn't mean that you check your brain at the door and you submit to false doctrine or abuse in ministry. I, I want to put that disclaimer in there. Bad things happen sometimes, and there are difficult situations. But it also means that you understand verse uh, 19 of Romans chapter number 12. And that is what David lived out. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You see somebody that needs correction. You need somebody that see, need, needs, needs. Trust me, God's going to do a better job of taking care of the situation than you are. And, and in our human ways and convictions, it, it rubs us the wrong way when we see other people doing things that we're convicted against. And sometimes we can wrestle with all that. God says, look, vengeance is mine. I'm going to repay. You trust God. Imagine Samuel. We go back to Samuel. Samuel is watching Eli, whose his sons are committing all kinds of immoral acts at the tabernacle, and yet Samuel was submitted to Eli enough that when the Lord spoke to him, it's interesting, he thought it was the voice of Eli, and he goes to Eli. So two things are happening. Brother Eric, you came up with me, you were talking after last week. First thing is that Samuel's relationship with Eli was such that even though Eli was permitting horrible things to go on in the tabernacle, Samuel still identifies the voice of God as the voice of the spiritual authority that he has on this earth. And the second thing, he was not, he had not allowed himself to get to such a, a bitter and, uh, such position to where he would not respond to Eli. He could have said, man, Eli, he's not even letting the things of God go on. I'm not even going to listen to him. And now it's the middle of the night, and Eli, yeah, now you're crying out for help. There you are. I'm not going to listen to you. No, Samuel comes running in a spirit of submission. He says, hey, hey, I, I'm here. I'll, I'll help you out. What, what, what do you need? I didn't call you. Go back. And three times, and then he says, look, you know, the next time God's calling you, He's going to speak to you. God gives Samuel then a very hard word for Eli, but God knew he could trust Samuel because he had a submitted heart. And God took care of it. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So, I give you this line. This is very important. And that is, obedience is relative, but submission is absolute. Now, I want to give you a recommendation. Put that... Put that quote up there. Okay, that, that's an important quote. Write that down somewhere. Make a note of this. This is, this is an absolutely important quote because if you don't get this, you can, you can get into a place that gets cultish um, and, and, and you're following to a place of danger. You, you don't blindly follow delegated spiritual authority into false doctrine. You don't blindly follow delegated spiritual authority into bad spiritual practices or spiritual abuse. And so these principles are, are established for us.
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That means I don't have to lift my hand against them. God will take care of that. But at the same time, very, very important principle, and that is obedience is relative, submission is absolute. And I'll explain what I mean here, but I get this quote. I'm taking this quote from this book, Watchman Nee, Spiritual Authority. It's an excellent book. This book helped me so much in my life. I'd highly recommend it. Now, he, he was a Trinitarian, and he has one chapter in here on the obedience of the Son, and it's really unfortunate because if he had the revelation of the oneness of God, man, it's so rich, the, the actual understanding of submission and spiritual authority. So he gets all sideways because when you try to talk about three persons co-equal, co-eternal, and co-submitted, and all of a sudden it's, it's so you could skip that chapter. But other than that, it's got some incredible stuff that I couldn't exhaust, but I'd highly recommend that you read that. But obedience is relative and submission is absolute. Here's why I say obedience is relative and submission is absolute. Because when you're living your life before the Lord, you're, you're submitted to the process that God is using, God's program and God's process. So not only has God established in the church spiritual authority, He's not only given us spiritual authority, but He's given us the body of Christ. We are, this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot of times when people are talking about spiritual authority, but not only are we to sub submit to spiritual authority in the body of Christ, we are to submit ourselves one to another. And, and we don't do that in practice. We actually like to tell each other what the other person should be doing. Coming from that standpoint, instead of submitting one to another, and if anybody tells us anything, we get offended. Well, who, who made you the pastor? Who made you whatever? Instead of having a spirit of submission that understands this is the body of Christ and God can use the body for my benefit. I'm going to tell you, I, I have been in the church all of my life. I know there are problems and things in the church. I, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I'm going to tell you what, I am here today because of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is what's held me and kept me and carried me through seasons and loved me in every season of my life. God, it's amazing. God will wake somebody up on the other side of the world and put a burden on their heart and they'll go to praying. <laughs> you know, I, you don't get that out in the world. So I thank God for the body of Christ. But... And then beyond that, where we're at, God, if we really believe all things work together for good, then I can submit to what God brings into my life. Okay? So Job actually ultimately comes to this point of submission. When all these things happen to Job, and Job is, you know, regretting his birthday, he's saying, man, that, that's not even a good day. Like, that should be a day blotted out of the calendar. And, and finally, he comes to a place when he has this dialogue with God, and Job says, God never answers why he has all the problems that he has in his life. When God finally speaks, he just shows up and says, Job, where were you when I created? And he starts going through the wonders of creation. And he let Job know, Job, you really don't have a clue what's going on. And when Job heard that, Job says, I'm going to take this hand and I'm going to put it over this mouth and I'm not going to say another word. With, now, he still had all of his troubles, 
but Job finds himself in a place of submission. I'm talking about the security of submission tonight. We walk around with anxieties. We walk around with problems and fears and all kinds of stuff because, well, this isn't right, and that's not right, and that's not right. Instead of understanding, wait a minute. I'm living for God. I'm trusting God. I'm doing the best that I can do. And God has His hand on everything. And He sees the end from the beginning. And I can just trust Him. Instead of whining, gripe, and crying, crying, complaining. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself. But there is a security when you wake up in the morning and say, you know what? It may be storming outside, but it doesn't matter. Because God, you've already got this day purposed. You've already got this day ordained. You've already got this day has been sanctified. This day is anointed, God. And so I'm trusting in you. And I'm walking with you. There is a security and a comfort. And this will transform your life. But obedience is relative. Submission is absolute. That means I must always be submitted in wherever God has me. But obedience is relative. What does that mean? That means that I don't obey men when they are contrary to God. And by men, I'm using that generally. Men and women when they are contrary to God. So obedience is relative. If your parents or children are in here, but if your parents are asking you to do something that is contrary to God's Word, well, let's go to Acts chapter number 5 and verse 29. Here the apostles have come out, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. They've done a miracle in the temple, and they're telling them, look, you can't, they put them in, in jail, they bring them back out and say, look, you can preach, but stop using the name of Jesus. Stop using His name. We don't even mind if you do miracles, just stop using the name of Jesus. This is the same group of men that had commissioned Him to a cross and, and sentenced Him. They're still dealing with that. They're still wrestling with, we lost His body. This was a problem for them. This was a scandalous situation. They paid the guards to lie and say his body was stolen. And now you got people going around doing miracles just like Jesus using his name. This is trouble. And they come to them, the, the, the religious leaders, and say, don't use the name of Jesus. And what do they say? Well, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So what were they doing in that moment? Well, if you look at them, they were submitted to the authorities, but they were letting them know, look, you're putting us in a position. And so we're not, they were not being defiant in that moment, but they're saying, we are going to obey God rather than men. That is always, always, always Always. If I could say it again, I would say it again. Always the right thing you do. You obey God rather than men. You obey God rather than your parents. You obey God rather than your pastor. When there is contrary, when there is conflict, you obey God rather than men. That's why it's important that you know the Word of God. Because you want to make sure that you are right when men make mistakes. Men are fallible people. 
So now we go to, and I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna run out of time. I'm gonna run through this real quick. I'm gonna give you just a little tidbit, and then I'm gonna go on. First Peter chapter two. Well, well, we're in Romans. Let's go to Romans first. Let's go to Romans 13, 1 and 2. Maybe, maybe 1 through 7. First, or Romans. Are you there? Do you have it in your Bibles? I want you to see this. If you have a Bible, I want you to look at it. Because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Romans 13 and 1. Let every soul. Can we, can we just stop there for clarity? Let who? Every soul be subject unto the higher powers. What is he talking Period. What's he talking about? He's talking about submission. Higher powers, okay? Why? Watch what he says. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth a power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, that's some pretty strong language, right? Okay, a strong language. Now, he is not talking in this passage, and we'll go on and we'll prove this. He is not talking in this passage about, when he talks about higher powers, he's not talking about just spiritual authority in the church. He's talking about it in the world. This is an interesting thing because Paul is writing to Rome. This is, this is the time of the Roman Empire. Very pagan, hedonistic ideologies in every way contrary to the things of God. And yet Paul is saying, be subject unto the higher powers. Look at what he says in verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. They enact laws. Wilt thou then be afraid, not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. He's not talking about preachers here. Preachers did not walk around with swords. Seeing whether or not you're doing right. He's talking about governments here. He's talking about authorities, laws of the land, rules of the land. This, this was very eye-opening for me when I read this and I realized this. Because I had always dismissed it. I'll obey my pastor, but I'll rebel against government. I don't need to listen to government. They don't have a right to tell me what to do. They're not Christian, bless God. And then I read this and realized that I had an unsubmitted spirit. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's minister, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute, to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now he's talking about governments that are uh, wicked governments. But this is not, this is not uh, coming out of nowhere. There's an Old Testament context for this. Um, but go back to verse 1, because the secret is in verse 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject to the higher power, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, in the book of Psalms, it tells us that the king's heart's in his hand, and God brings them up, and he brings them down. <laughs> and he raises the king up, and the king thinks, oh, look at me, look at how great I've done, and then God has to come and say, nope, that wasn't you. 
that was me, and you're sitting back down. And so the empire doesn't establish, now there's a new empire, and the next empire comes on and says, look, we're the greatest that we've ever been. We're the best in the whole world. And God says, no, actually not. You're going to be gone. And it's happened to every generation, every civilization, America included. God's the one that raises up. So what, what, what he's saying here is when you're subject to them, you're not subject to them because they're right. You're subject to them because it's God that's doing the raising. God's working out his whole drama in this world. This is the same mind frame, and I can prove it to you. This is the same mind frame and understanding that Daniel and the, what we call the three Hebrew boys had when they were carried away to captivity to Babylon. They go to Babylon and we read in the story, well, they, they told the king, we are not going to eat your meat. Then they tell him, you have to bow down to the idol. No, we're not going to bow to the idol. And then they tell him, you can't pray. No, we're not going to pray. We are going to pray. Because they, they followed the obedience is relative, submission is absolute. But that doesn't mean that they were defiant or they were not submitted to the Babylonian empire. And I can prove it to you. Here's four healthy men at the prime of their life that are carried into captivity in Babylon, they are all, by the king's command, made eunuchs. Castrated. And they did not resist until they were commanded to do something against the law. I would have protested at the beginning of the story. But the law didn't say, the Mosaic law, what God gave, didn't say anything about that. And so even though it wasn't their desire and it probably wasn't their wish, I can certainly say it wasn't their wish, they submitted to a pagan empire, Babylon, that was actually, if you read Scripture, the agent of God, even in its wickedness. Because God prophesied and said, you're going to be carried away cap captive 70 years. And God rose up Babylon to come and to carry them away. And they submitted to things that they didn't want in their life because they weren't submitted to Babylon, they were submitted to God. And they recognized that sometimes God uses evil, wicked people. And so I'm going to submit to God. And if God brings this in my life, now, folks, I'm going to tell you, this is hard. This is, this is hard teaching tonight because this is not what Andrew Romine wanted to hear, wanted to see, wanted to read in Scripture, wanted God to talk about. But when God was taking me off the wheel and breaking me again and saying, no, you don't understand what submission is, putting me back on there, wow, okay, so I submit to everything, God, because I'm, I'm following after you. I submit to everything that you bring into my life. But I don't disobey what you've given. So the three Hebrews and Daniel say, okay, we'll submit and we'll go along with the plan. You know what? Why don't you give us, he said, give us pulse to eat. Give us some things. And he, he reached for some kosher things on their menu item. Don't bring me the king's meat. And he says, let's do a little trial and a test. I'll do this. For a number of days and you come back and if I'm not stronger than everybody else 
He said, then, then it'll be shown. And they came back, they did it, and wow, look, they were stronger than everybody else. You're going to bow. Nope, not going to bow. We're going to obey God rather than men. They were submitted in their spirit. That's why the king hated to throw them in, into the lion's den. Not Daniel! Daniel, are you there? I'm here. All right, pull them out and throw the other men, those other people that aren't submitted. Throw them in the lion's den. I'm going to tell you, this thing pays off. When you find yourself in a lion's den, you better pray to God that you were submitted when you go in there. Because your submission is what will keep the mouth of the lions shut. Your submission is what allows the fiery furnace not to burn you. God brings them through. Well, it's easy. You see it? Does anybody else see it? You understand what I'm saying? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 13. Now we had Paul saying it in Rome, and now look at what we have Peter saying in his epistle. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. He's not saying every ordinance in the church. He's saying every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers or for praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And verse 17 is, is probably my absolute favorite verse in Scripture because it's the one I've had to wrestle with and come to an understanding. And I feel like it's a summary of all of this. Honor all men, not just some men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. He's not just talking about King Jesus. Peter's writing in a day where according to tradition, Peter is going to be crucified upside down by a king. And yet Peter says, give him honor because God's the one that's established that. You don't think these apostles understood what submission was? How else do you go to a martyr's death unless you're submitted? we got to be careful that we don't get a protest spirit. That's the spirit of our age today. We protest against everything. Get on Facebook, plaster it. What was Stephen doing while they were stoning him? Worried about changing his profile on Facebook so everybody knew where he stood? No. He's praying. He submitted. Because I know you're throwing a stone. I know you mean evil. But you couldn't be throwing that stone unless God was permitting you to throw that stone. And if you kill me, God's going to use my death for His glory. And He did. Because there was a man standing by that was holding the coats of one named Saul who would have an encounter with God 
His name would be changed to Paul. God, I didn't sign up for this. I, I didn't sign up to be stoned. But Stephen submitted himself. Are we that submitted to God that we would let God use us in such a way that even in our death, imagine if Stephen had thrown a fit, cussed and gotten mad. Imagine what, what that would have left, the mark that that would have left upon on Saul that day. But Paul goes on to be an incredible evangelist and God used him in his suffering. I'm going to tell you, there is a security in submission. And I'm not come. I'm 42 years old. I have a feeling. I, I don't want to guarantee it, but I have a feeling there's going to be times in my life where God takes me off the wheel again and breaks me and puts me back on the wheel because I'm a slow learner. You sit here tonight and think, wow, you know, Pastor Ben, this is strong. Yeah, I'm the one speaking it. And I have, to, I have to try to go out and live what I'm saying here. God help me to be that submitted. But when you're submitted, there is a security that God's, God's going to take care of it. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know we sing about it and we talk about it, but man, that's really, really hard to live. But I'm telling you, that is where God is inviting you and I to be. That's the level that God wants to take us. He wants to graduate us from just being a person that shows up for the loaves and the fishes and the handouts and all the blessings to being a person that He can use. Look at what Scripture says, and I'll leave you with this. By the way, we could go on. There's, there's a new, innumerable examples of this. Jesus Christ Himself comes, and He comes, and He submits. He's the ultimate example. He stands before the... As they accuse Him, He stands before the Sanhedrin, and they accuse Him, and He stands silently. And He utters not a word. They couldn't get a response out of Him. In fact, some scholars have suggested that what the Romans were trying to do was to get a response out of him. They, they whipped him with the cat of nine tails. They, 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 but before that, they, they take and they, they, they beat him. They put the crown of thorns on him. They're spitting on him, and he never utters a word. You've got to imagine this is something that no Roman soldier has ever experienced. Because they start beating somebody, and man, that person is cussing them, that person is retaliating, that person is saying things, and now they come to someone, they're, they're beating him, and he's not doing anything. They bring, bring him back scourged before the Sanhedrin. The Bible says he utters not a word. He would not say anything. He would not respond to the, all of their jeering, all of their accusations, all of this stuff. But then the high priest invokes a Levitical law. And he invokes a Levitical law that was reserved for special occasions. You've heard me talk about it. And when that law would be invoked, if the high priest came and said, I adjure you by the living God, and said whatever, you were required according to the law. If they 
If they invoke that law, you are required to answer truthfully. And you could not be held accountable for any truthful thing. If you answered truthfully and it was an indictment upon your family, your family could not hold anything against you because you were under the command of the law. If you answered dishonestly, you would die. So you had to answer truthfully. And the high priest, while Jesus is standing before them, invokes this Levitical law. And he says, I adjure thee by the living God. And he asks him, are thou the Christ? And he would not listen to all of their scourging, their accusations, but now he had the law invoked over him. And he submitted himself. And he answers and says, I am. I am. And when he said that, he didn't die. And the other high priest does something that was forbidden in the law for him to do, and that is he rips his garment. And in that moment, there's a transfer from who the high priest thought he was to all of a sudden Jesus Christ serving as the high priest. In that moment, it transferred. But Jesus still submitted to the high priest, even though he knew you're about ready to lose it. But he still submitted. And he trusted the process. So if Jesus Christ would do that, who am I to look at somebody and say, you're about to lose it, I'm not listening to you. Submit to God. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and let's come down here. This is an interesting thing. And I'll close with this because I'm talking about talking about sometimes talking about Stephen, the other apostles that were martyred. In Hebrews chapter five and verse eight, and I'll close with this. It said, "Though he were a son," it's talking about Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now leave that up there because there's something interesting here. The Bible says that Christ learned obedience. That means that there was purpose to the process. That there was purpose in the manifestation. He was not just, he was not just a carrier of God Almighty come down it's just body form and this robotic thing. But there was actually a process in the manifestation. He learns obedience, which means he didn't bring obedience from heaven with him. He had to learn it. And how did he learn it? He learned it by his suffering. I'm going to tell you, you and I will never know more who we are submitted to than when we suffer. We don't learn who we are really obeying until we suffer. Sometimes we want to pray every suffering away, but God has a purpose in the suffering. And when you're submitted to God, you say, yes, Lord. Now, this is not popular preaching or popular teaching, but that's how you can come to a place to say, okay, God, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do, and and, and okay, you're, you're going to be led to give your life for this or give your life for that. This is a radical faith. But when you are submitted to God, there is a security in submission. 
Paul ends his life in Acts chapter 10, I think it is. He says, I, I, I feel bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And the church says, no, 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 we've been praying. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit has warned us that if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to suffer many things. Paul says, thank you. You're right. But I'm bound in my spirit because I'm submitted to God. And so he goes, and it's going to be the end of his life, but God's using him. Are you submitted enough? We all, we all are submitted enough when God's handing out promises. Woo! I'm in line. Miracle blessing, I'm in line. What if God says, okay, I want to use somebody. Over here, I've got this kind of suffering. Over here, I've got this kind of suffering. Over here, I got this kind of suffering. You don't know what you're going to get. But who will step up and say, God, I'll submit and I'll surrender to you? Whew. You see, you really do have to take up your cross every day and deny yourself and say, I'm going to follow him. Stand together with me tonight. There is a blessing when we walk under the authority of submission. And we know that God has all things in His hands. And when you can say things like this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I know God, lo, I am with you always, even until the ends of the earth. This was the promise that Jesus gave us because we were going to need that. So I wonder tonight if anybody would just take what I've shared, take what I've said tonight. Let, I haven't exhausted it. There's more in the Word, but let the Word of God, let these passages sort of marinate in your heart and ask God, God, what, what are you trying to work in my life and how can I be submitted to you, fully submitted and surrendered to you in everything that I say or do? And stop coming, we, we get to the place to where we can stop coming to God with conditions. Lord, I thank you tonight for your church. I thank you for the blessing of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit. And I pray tonight, God, I, I mean to encourage and strengthen someone because there really is a security that comes in submission. That when I can trust you and I can walk in faith and hope and I can know in whom I have believed that I can stop coming to you with conditions and that I can just trust and accept whatever you send into my life. And I know that all things work together for good, that I know that there is going to be victory in the end, that I know that in the end, God, we win. I'd rather be with you. I'd rather be submitted in the lion's den. I'd rather be submitted and walk through a fiery furnace than to miss out on what you have for us altogether. In Jesus' name, I pray that your blessing would be upon everyone here. I pray that your strength would be upon here, and I pray that your anointing would be upon them. Give us the courage to say yes to your will in everything. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Dan Dean wrote a song back, I think it was in the 80s. said, I will give you all. I will give you all. If all is what you ask of me, I will not withhold. And if my sacrifice is less,
then giving you my very best, give me the courage to say yes. Or give me to, how does it go? Give me the, help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. He gave everything. He went submitted, so I have to. Do you know how many times I prayed for courage to say yes? There's been a lot of times where I see the will of God and I say, okay, God, I see it.